0: What if you could simply trust all information on the internet? My name is Sebastian and I'm on a mission to build a trusted web for all of us on planet earth. An internet where my parents, possibly my future kids and my own generation can find truth and feel safe. Because to save the world, we need to fix the internet. In the Trusted Web podcast, I embark on a journey with you, my listeners and thought leaders to explore what needs to get done. Thank you for being part of this journey and let's build the trusted web together. In this episode, a really special guest is joining me. We share a passion for building a better and more truthful internet all through open source technologies and communities. Richard Zack is the co founder, CEO, and CTO of Our dot News, which is an AI powered startup that's been fighting misinformation since 2016 already. They're on the mission to make it easier for anyone to fact-check news and his passion for open source software fueled his nearly 26-year career as a founder of five companies. He's a senior technology executive and an angel investor. So Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So when I find out about our news, it sparked all joy in my body and I really applaud your initiative. So thank you again, Richard, for coming on the show. And let's start. First question, What is the state of fake news today?
1: Well, that's a good question. And if I had to answer it simply, I would say the state of fake news is strong. (laughs) And what I mean is that, uh, you know, being one of several forms of misinformation, the world is inundated by more of this uh, information pollution than at any time in prior history. You know, fake news has always existed, uh, but now it's amplified and spread in seconds across the globe. Uh, Much faster than ever before reaching, you know, many more people than ever before. And and that's why it's so much more dangerous than it's ever been before. In fact, I'd even go so far as to say the internet is a super spreader event for fake news.
0: And what would you say, how did it evolve over the last years? And what is a bigger problem? Is that intentional fake news or unintentional fake
1: news? You know, there's... They're both problems, but certainly from what we're seeing, intentional fake news, disinformation uh, is highly effective. There are hundreds of very well-coordinated disinformation campaigns going on around the globe uh, at any given moment by thousands of different parties who are intentionally trying to manipulate public opinion, sway public opinion, uh, push false narratives for their own agendas. And They're very well funded, they're very well organized and and coordinated, and they're very effective in achieving their objectives, uh, which is very scary. You know, I think unintentional sharing of misinformation is a problem. Unintentional sharing of of fake news and disinformation is certainly a problem. Uh, But if that information wasn't there to begin with, it'd be real hard to share it. So we think the, 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 the primary challenge is uh, pushing back in this, uh, in this climate of these organi- very organized groups who are spreading this, mi- this misinformation, we think that's the more dangerous uh, part.
0: The thing is, when I found out uh, about your project, it really sparked me with joy all over my body. And why is that? Because there are so many parties talking about the problems on the Internet, but not that many are on a mission to really improve it. Or not many parties are having solutions to uh, to bring fixes. So my question would be, what does your organization do? How are you combating fake news?
1: Yeah, we think the best way is on a person-by-person level for people to make uh, better, more informed choices about the information that they're looking at. And so we push back by providing tools and data that make it easier for consumers uh, or for businesses to make to, to get all the information, to make better decisions about the information they're reading. The primary tool we use is our product called News And it is a nutrition label for news. It's the same exact concept as nutrition labels on food. If you want to know more about what's in your food, all you do is flip over the package and look at the label. Label doesn't tell you if it's good or bad. It doesn't say buy it or don't buy it. It just says, here are the carbohydrates. Here's the sodium content. Here are the calories. And it leaves the buying decision in the hands of consumers. And so we thought, you know, what if, what if we took that same approach and applied it to all news and ultimately to all content online? How great would it be if you could just flip over the package of the information you're looking at and see what's in it? Who is the manufacturer? Who's the author? You know, what what are all the ingredients that make up this content in a non-partisan, non-biased way so that you can make that decision for yourself with all the data in hand right at your fingertips and that's the approach that we've taken now gathering all that data is obviously an immense challenge you know especially because it needs to be near instant instantly done you know anytime you're scrolling through facebook or twitter or any of your social media feeds or anytime you're reading any content online there's so much information there so we really wanted the technology to work so that literally You don't have to change your reading habits wherever wherever you're looking at content you just click a button and up comes that label so we use machine learning artificial intelligence algorithms a variety of uh of really cool technology that we've built over the years frankly uh to to gather this information to pack it into that nutrition label and display it uh to the end user and we think that that this is all part of um this is all part of the solution there's not going to be one solution to fake news or one solution to misinformation, but empowering consumers empowering the end users to uh to 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 really just quickly have all that information at their fingertips we think is a really important part of the solution
0: amazing and uh, I saw the solution there's an app and there's a, a browser plugin is there a human layer as well in doing the judgment or how? yeah can you tell about that
1: absolutely i mean we we believe that that truth is, uh, it's not something that's known by a small elite few. And, you know, truth is a collective process of discovery, and so one of the sections in our nutrition label, you know, as, as I said before, it kind of mirrors a food label. So you know, you have calories, you know, you have sodium, you have carbohydrates. In our nutrition label, one of the sections is uh, our user ratings and user feedback. So what does the public think? about the particular piece of content. For example, uh, has the public rated this content as having any spin, political spin, or, or bias? Uh, how much do they trust the source of the content? And how accurate is this content? And last but not least, what actually is this content? Uh, one of the major, you know, for example, is it news, is it opinion, is it satire, is it clickbait, is it a, you know, is it, um, is it a primary source? One of the big problems out there is that uh, um, opinion is often, uh, the lines between opinion and news have really been blurred. And a lot of times opinion pieces are sort of presented as news, or even if they're labeled as opinion, people don't see it as such. So so we also ask users, you know, what is this? What, what kind of content are you looking at? We, people find that to be very helpful. So uh, we think that that's an important part of the picture is is what does the public think? That being said, it's not the only piece, you know, can a million people be wrong? Absolutely, they can be, but we think it's really helpful to know uh, what the public thinks about any piece of content. Uh, And, you know, the public can obviously be wrong. They more often than not actually studies have shown and our data backs up that more often than not the public is is usually does a very good job at determining uh, what content is, uh, is true and what is not.
0: And for example, the, the identity part of it, one of the things we work on is through timestamps, bringing transparency and accountability. You say when uh, offering the meta information about the article, how can people, or is identity of the organization or the writer a part of your solution? How does that work?
1: Absolutely. The first two sections of the label are information about the publisher uh, and information about the author. So for example, <clears throat> who is the publisher? Uh, where are they located? Who's their ownership? What are, what's their overall aggregate score, you know, rating score? Uh, and then the second section is the same for the author. Who, who are they? Where are they located? What's their background information? What's their overall rating scores? And having all that sort of meta information as the first two sections uh, is, uh, we think, is, is, you know, actually very, very important. Knowing who is providing the information turns out to be a very important question. And I think it's really Uh, really interesting to, you know, delve further into that, into, you know, into having, you know, some kind of timestamp system or some kind of verification system. We have, uh, we have done a significant amount of uh, of verification of the publishers and authors in our system, but that's a big ongoing, you know, needs to be a big ongoing open global process uh, because there's so many publishers and authors out there uh, and really to have one organization, uh, you know, in charge of verifying that data also doesn't make sense. I mean, having a decentralized approach to that verification process, I think is, uh, would, would only inspire more trust and confidence in the process.
0: Super, yeah, and one of the the efforts we're doing is making sure that, uh, that there's timestamping on public blockchains with the, and we make sure that the, those timestamps Will be outputted not only for people in certificates, but also through Schema.org and via ISO uh, standardization to make sure that there are ways that governments can require it, that there are ways that search engines and social media can digest the information. Are you working on standardizing the output or uh, of your information? How does that work? Uh,
1: absolutely. So uh, for. Uh, for consumers, all of our technology is available without cost, and it's available through the mobile app and the browser plugins and through our website. Uh, for, for governments and business uh, clients, all of, our, uh, all of our data, all of our information is uh, in a schema format and you know, in a very easily accessible REST API so for programmatic access, any kind of, you know, every piece of information our platform is available in that structured data format. And we, I, we absolutely agree with you that, that that is critical going forward, having, you know, a common standardized format for presenting this information, open openness and transparency on the source production side, I think is critical. Uh, there are a lot of challenges globally to making that happen that, you know, it's it's not as uh, it's not it's not necessarily as simple as, as some developers you know may may think it is to actually do this. Uh, but um, having that information, we do think is is very important. And um, I think some there's a, there's many initiatives out there, including the International Fact Checking Network, that are really working with fact checkers and other publishers to try to help you know, get all that critical information, the, the trust project as well, uh, trying yeah. to help get that information uh, you know, and make that really public and open and transparent. Uh, it turns out that's a pretty big initiative and a very, and a very important one.
0: Amazing. Yeah. And for the coming uh, five years, for example, what do you think? How will the fake news problem evolve over the coming five years?
1: It's going to get much worse before it gets better. Uh, the way we see it, Um, the financial incentives for making spreading and facilitating fake news are just dramatically greater than the incentives for spreading accurate information. Accurate information is out there, right? It's, it's there. I mean, it's, the problem is, is that publishers and platforms make money based almost entirely on clicks. And most people, you know, myself included, you know, you just can't help but click on those salacious headlines, especially the ones, sometimes especially the ones that we, that, that we know can't be true. It's like, oh, that can't yeah. be true. What, yeah. what are they saying? Well, let me click on that. Boom. You just incentivize. you know, just incentivized, you know, more creation of harmful content. So, um, you know, I think it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And, and I think we need to be talking about not only the technical solutions, uh, but also the the incentives and the whole financial model surrounding uh, content on the internet has to has to change
0: yeah, and it must be a holistic approach of policy makers of search engines, social media, and for them, there must be incentives and maybe regulation maybe regulation to enforce it with them. One of the things we are educating search engines on is. The more transparency, so for example, showing revisions, the higher you rank, the more accountability. So the more accountability a sender takes, the higher you rank in the algorithms. That's something that policymakers can enforce. Uh, what do you think of that direction? Could that work?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think that can I think that can work. I think it has to be a combination of approaches and, you know, basing certain you know, search searches everything. So basing, you know, placement on transparency is important, but also, you know, I really like the idea of, of tying it in to the blockchain and, and, and having, having more confidence in, in the data that's being presented because, you know, even, you know, bad actors also know, you know, how to do the schemas and how to do the, you know, and how to be transparent. So,
0: sure.
1: so transparency in and of itself is probably not enough, but it's a great first step. And then having, having a verification layer beneath it, I think makes a ton of sense. Um, that probably goes over the head of, of of a lot of people, of a lot of, of especially you know older news consumers um, who, who just aren't familiar with block blockchain. Uh, but on the supply side, uh, you know, publishers should there, there should almost be no excuse at this point to have that information. So yes, absolutely, I think that's a um, that's a great idea, and that has to be a part of uh, has to be a part of the solution.
0: Great, and the for you working since 2016 with our news uh that's five years what did you did you paint a picture on how what what the cost is of fake news for society
1: you know um it's hard to quantify that cost there have been several studies that uh, have been done uh who have who have shown that on on uh, on on companies uh, fake news, misinformation costs billions of dollars a year in harm to, to, to companies and brands. Um, you know, and I don't, I don't think we actually would have predicted that as much as the, the real life harm that can come from misinformation. No one predicted, uh, at, at least not years ago, no one predicted the, the COVID pandemic, you know, and um, but what we did predict was that misinformation about science and about medical, uh, about health uh, issues. We did predict that uh, that that was going to be rampant. No one predicted how bad it would actually be and how many people's lives uh, would be affected by such misinformation. So that was, um, I would say, uh, shocking, but not surprising, I think is a, yeah. is a good way to say it. And and obviously the misinformation about COVID-19 uh, was devastating here in the United States and uh, and across the world. So um, you know, what is the cost of fake news? The cost of fake news is high. And we're talking about people's lives and uh, billions of dollars. It's a, it's a big problem.
0: And that's really what we learned over the last nine months, 10 months, that it costs lives, fake news and misinformation.
1: It does. It, it, it clearly does. And, uh, and, you know, the solution I think is working together. You know, I think this, this collaboration and, uh, you're bringing everybody in the picture, having everybody have a say, is in being involved and everybody participating. Uh, it may sound like a lofty goal, but we think that uh, we think it's necessary and we think it's possible. Actually, there's a, if you if you talk, I'm sure you know you, you talk to a lot of people. Most people recognize it's a big problem and they want to help in whatever way they can.
0: And one question would be: What is the biggest thing that needs to change to solve fake news?
1: Um, there's not just one thing. I think you, you, as you said earlier, you know, I, I think there's going to be a variety of technology and policy, uh, decisions that have to be made and implemented. I think, uh, most importantly, you know, ultimately it, it all comes down to the individual person. You know, people have to decide for themselves, uh, what is true. And, uh, and that's a question that humanity has been wrestling with for thousands of years. Uh, so. You know, it's, it's, um, you know, I, I think that, and that's a, that, that's something that's going to take, that's not going to be solved this year or next year or 10 years from now, no. it's not going to be. So, you know, tackling the problem from the, the, the current challenge is actually amplification is, 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 is the biggest problem. Like, like, I, like we were discussing earlier, fake news misinformation has been around forever. It'll probably be around forever people need to ultimately make better decisions but right now it, you know it's the spread it's the amplification and the and the business model of it that you know that that really are making it so bad so i think if we attack the technical problems and we attack the 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 policy problems and at the same time we include as much of the public as possible in the process you know i think those three things could really could really help turn the tide of, of, uh, of this battle. And yeah, I think I have, we, we all, we all have some ideas. I have some thoughts about like what policy proposals might, uh, might help. Uh, but, uh, you know, ultimately I think it's the combination of those factors, uh, as, as you said are very important. Yeah. And
0: is open source. The only way to fix it or what's the role of open source.
1: Yeah. The open source philosophy is the only way to fix it. And, uh, you know, open source technology is 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 critical uh, for for the for for trust on the supply side. I think consumers are less worried about uh, how the technology was built and more worried about being able to participate in the process. So I like to, uh, even though open source traditionally refers to the. Uh, the way that the software is built, having open access—I mean, everybody participate in the construction of the software—we view it as as open source as being even larger than that. It's about involving everybody in the process and everybody having access to the same information. Um, that we think is 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 very important, and the only way to solve this because the the, the problem with with fact checking, just fact checking, as there's so many great fact checkers out there. The, the problem is, is that no matter how good they are, no matter how correct their analysis is, no matter how detailed it is, no matter how, how well they have made their case or debunked a point or proven a point, if the person reading that, if the results go against their core beliefs, a, a huge number of people will just reject it out of hand you know, as, as being biased or being wrong. Or they won't have the time to read it, and 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 it's hard to blame them. They were never asked. Yeah. They were never consulted on this. There, you know, they were never given the the benefit of participation. So, so uh, you know, I, I think fa- the the fact checking community kind of thinks, well, we'll just keep fact checking, and I think that's great. It's critical. It's a part of the process, but it, it's not enough. You know, it's not enough to reach the skeptics. It's not enough to reach everyone. So the open source way of life, the open source thinking of presenting all the information and involving people in the process. Um, That's what's gonna help dig us out of this.
0: Perfect, and a last question. So it gets worse before it gets better. And in society, without the internet, we had a hard time fixing fake news. We didn't manage a society yet. Uh, So on the internet, it's hard as well it gets worse before it gets better. When will it be better than it is now?
1: Uh, (laughs) That's a tough question. Um, It really depends on a lot of things. I think in a, uh, in a best case scenario, you know, you you know, we're probably talking about um, a decade uh, or more. Uh, In a worst case scenario, we could be talking about a century. I mean, it's, it's, it's a big problem. There's not an easy solution. And I, I actually think we're really just at the beginning of the effort of, of, pushing back on this problem because these financial incentives are too great. And the, uh, the ease of being able for these large organizations, these well-funded groups, the ease of being able to run these large-scale disinformation campaigns, I don't see that changing anytime soon without significant you know, policy changes, technology changes, everything we just talked about. And that's going to take a significant amount of time. So I, I think we're likely talking about decades.
0: Yeah. The role of policymakers is, do we need to make uh, fake news a punishable event? Must it be a crime?
1: Um, In certain, in certain cases, maybe, but generally, I'm not in favor of that. Uh, We need to protect freedom of expression. And we need to make sure that uh, people have the ability to express themselves, uh, even if they're wrong. In fact, maybe even especially when they're wrong. Um, So we're not, we're not typically in favor of of any kind of censorship or, um, or, or. Uh, you know, criminal penalties for spreading misinformation. Obviously, there, you, the, the current structure could be improved. There are certain cases, you know, misinformation that directly leads to, to violence or harm or, you know, theft of intellectual property. There's a variety of cases now where there are criminal punishments, and I think most of those are appropriate, uh, but going much further than that, I would be very hesitant to to endorse. I think that. you um, it's going to cause more problems than it solves.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. And so one of the things we are researching is if we can make distinguishing between freedom of speech and freedom of reach. So the amount of identity you connect to content results in how viral it can go. Content without an identity can't be published and shared among friends, but for it to go viral, the sender must take accountability and reveal its real identity. So there's kind of a limit on what information can go viral. What are your thoughts on that?
1: You, you know, I love that approach. Um, th- that's very insightful because the, the problem is the, the reach is is really the problem, and and having anonymous, you know, fake accounts, millions of them that get essentially unlimited reach is a huge part of the problem. So, tying an identity verification layer into the to the reach of the content, that's a very compelling idea, and uh, and I would totally endorse that. And you know, it, it goes right in harmony in the United States about these discussions about Section two hundred and thirty uh, liability protections for platforms and. You know, if you were to implement such a thing, uh, where some kind of you know identity verification would be required for content to reach a certain level, I think that could actually solve those problems as well. You're not censoring content, but you're also not allowing it to be spread around the entire world to millions of people unless you know the source of the information. Uh, I think that's a very good idea. Another possible play on that 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 we've that I like is is in fact limiting all reach. Um, un- unless you're willing to as a platform take responsibility for that content. So for example, even if you are verified on Twitter, for example, having a verified identity, uh, once your content goes beyond say, I don't know, 10,000 or 100,000 views at that point, Twitter you know has to take responsibility for that content in order for it to spread beyond that threshold level. So I think that kind of thinking, um, you know, tying the reach of the content instead of the veracity of the content, I think that's a great compromise and has a lot of promise. So I, I, I look forward to seeing where you go with that research.
0: Amazing. And uh, yeah, l- let's wrap it up here. Uh, thanks, Richard, so much for two things. A, for uh, joining the Trusted Web Show, of course, but secondly, for all the important work you do. Where can people find you and your work?
1: Thank you so much for having me. You can find us on Twitter at our.news or me personally at Richard K. Zak. And uh, the website is our.news. We welcome everyone to participate in the process. It's an open process. So if you think you can uh, uh, be, a per- be a part of it, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, I- I'm really a big fan of the trusted web and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing where, you- where it goes. There
0: we go. And uh, yeah, we always end the show with saying together, let's build the trusted web together.
1: Let's build the trusted web together.
0: And lastly, I'd love to invite you to go to the D- trustedweb.org slash podcast there you will find our report on the state of misinformation because we surveyed thousands of participants across the globe to better understand the impact misinformation has on their lives and how they view the problem there are incredible findings that surprise us all and furthermore you'll find uh, the other episodes and education and use cases for building a trusted web it's all available there and of course for free thetrustedweb.org slash podcast thanks for listening and therefore being part of the trusted web journey and let's build the trusted web together